Well, good morning again, Hope Fellowship. My name is Jeff Brewer, and I'm one of the pastors here. And again, welcome to the East Wind Vocal Ensemble from here from Glenbard East for the East, uh, East, uh, East Strings. Right, right, right. I want to get it right. Uh, we also have uh, in the back, for everybody here, we have a copy of Alistair Begg's Christmas playlist, four songs that bring you to the heart of Christmas. I mean, what, what a joy it is to be able to have the choir here, to sing together, and to realize that we have such an opportunity and such a rich history of Christmas hymns where we can celebrate the incarnation of Christ. And so we have those for each person. You can pick one back up on the welcome table. Also, kids now up to first grade are dismissed to go with their teachers. And let me go ahead and pray, and we'll spend some time in God's Word together. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we thank you for this morning that's celebrating, that's rejoicing in what you have done through the sending of your Son. We thank you for how you care for us. We thank you for how you work in us and through us. We praise you that we have the opportunity to live in the midst of a community and in a city where we can proclaim you and make your name known. And so we pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted high here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I also want to just make sure that we announce, we wanted to do it here in the middle of the service. Uh, so uh, Cam and Tori gave birth to little Bailey, who, as many of you know, they were planning on her being in the NICU for a little while, and she's going through some critical surgeries here. And so we want to bless uh, the Linda Mulder family. And one of the ways we can do that, of course, we want to take meals and things when they're home, but they're spending a lot of time in transit. They're spending a lot of time at the NICU with little Bailey. And so I'm just going to read off uh, five different uh, places where you could buy gift cards here at the congregation. If you want to give them, uh, you can give them to Lindsay Tully or to Allie Jones, uh, to myself, to, to Jared, to Megan Cockrum, uh, and we would love to be able to get those to them and bless them in that way. And so um, I'm not endorsing any of these places, although um, Chick-fil-A is the best one on here. Chip- Chipotle, Panera, Chick-fil-A, Noodles and Company, and Jersey Mike's. And so all those places are right near the hospital where they are. And so if you'd like to encourage them and bless them, we would love to encourage you to do that. And so let's go ahead and continue to care for uh, Tori and Cam and, and Bailey as well. Well, here we are. We're going to spend some time in God's Word, which we do each morning. And as we've gone through the book of Galatians, we're going to be centering on uh, back on Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 over the next three weeks. And I'll read it in just a moment. But this week I was reading a biography, and the author was asking, what if the seemingly random events from my past, what if they were changed, even just a little bit? How would this disrupt the very fabric of my life? Now, what if a grandparent or a great-grandparent hadn't taken that job out of state? What if my parents had stayed together and not gotten a divorce? Or what if they had chosen a different major in college or lived in a city rather than in a small town? What if, what if, what if? All these ways our minds could go. The what ifs are endless in this multiverse of our minds in how our lives would be different if small decisions, seemingly random events that took place in the past were changed. And, and really, if you think about it, this is just for one person. As we think about our lives, for one person, let alone how our decisions might affect other people. 
and how they res- would respond to those small decisions that would be different, and on and on and on. And so all of a sudden, if you let your mind just start going down these paths, you start to realize just how complex history is and the billions and billions of decisions and actions that happened over the course of history to lead us to being born. It really boggles the mind. But whether random or whether remarkable, every moment is tied to another, making history a complexity that really, if we get down to it and we just are honest, none of us can fully understand all of the things that have gone in to bringing us to where we are today. Where we live, why we live there, when we were born, it all brought us to today, even to the point of being here in these seats this morning. Is it all by design, or is it just the fate of the universe that brought you to where you are? You know, we're going to spend our second Sunday here in Advent in Galatians 4.4, and really we're going to look at one phrase, four words, the fullness of time. Listen to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And I hope as we look at this one phrase, we see how the message of Christmas shows us that there is meaning to time and space and this history that we're living in. I hope that our time together realizes, it helps you to realize that there is meaning to your life, that there is a reason why you're here. So let's focus on this one phrase, the fullness of time, and I want us to focus on it in two ways. Uh, what it means in two ways. It means that the fullness of time, that there, it means that there is a design to history. And it also means, the fullness of time means, there is hope available in Jesus. So it means there's a design, and it means there's hope. And that's where we're going to spend our brief time in God's Word here this morning. And so let's think first at, about the fullness of time means there's a design to history. Now, we're, we're all in on Christmas movies in our house right now. And by all in and by Christmas movies, I mean the cheesy lifetime chant. We, I bought, and I just don't want to like, I'm not going to throw Jen and the girls under the bus. I bought the lifetime subscription so we could watch the cheesy lifetime Christmas movies. And so uh, we, we love watching them as a family, and we do it every year. And Jen and I actually started a movie a couple nights ago, and we didn't get, get through the whole movie. And so the next day, I think yesterday afternoon, we kind of sat down and we were watching the rest of it. And when our girls came in, nobody really asked what's happening in this movie or what's going on. Because if you know these movies, they're always the same. They're always predictable. You know, they could quickly get the plot and they could quickly see like, oh, okay, those are the two that are going to get together in the end and, and on and on. But, but back when we used to go to movies in theaters, remember the good old days when that used to happen? And you got tickets, and a friend of yours, if, if they didn't get there on time and they showed up really late and they sat down, you might dread the question that you know is coming. You know it's coming, and, and you just wait for it and, and finally say, you know, what I miss? Where, where are we? What, what's going on? And they, they start to talk over and over again because they realize there's a story, they're coming into the middle of it, and it's going to be really difficult to figure out where they're going and what, what's happening in this movie if they don't know what happened at the beginning. Well, if you're new to the Bible, 
it's important to know that when we come to the message of Christmas, to these stories, to this story about Jesus being born and the wise men and the manger and, and all these things that we, you might have heard about over the years, really it's important to realize we're coming into the middle of the story. And so it's okay to ask, well, what I miss? Or, or what's going on? Or, or even, why is it so important that this child was born to a virgin in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Why are we still singing songs about it today? And, and so in order to, say, to show why is it so important, in order to kind of give what happened before this point to bring us to the fullness of time, let me just summarize the, the first you know, two, 3,000 years of salvation history in the Old Testament with four words. Four words, creation, fall, promise, and waiting. We can really summarize the entire message of the Old Testament up until the point when Jesus is born with creation, fall, promise, and waiting. And so if we think back to the very beginning of the Bible, we're, we're introduced to God. And it says, in the, in the beginning, God created. And so God is the creator, which means he's the one who owns all things, he created all things, and he's the rightful ruler over all that he's created. And, and, the, and Genesis really doesn't go into a lot of detail about how he created, except to say that he spoke and these things were created, light and life and animals and, and terrain. And finally, we learn that people were created. And it says that God created man and woman in his own image. Which really means, because what does it mean that God created us in his own image? Is it like a photograph of God and he kind of carved us out of it? It really means that what it's going after is that we're like him in how we can think and how we can reason. That just as he spoke and everything came into existence, so also we can speak. We can praise. We can give thanks. We can do all these things because we have a mind and a heart and reason and we can interact and we can have community just as God has had community and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And so people were different than the rest of creation. And one way that they were different is these people, despite God being the creator and the ruler of all, despite being God being good and loving and kind, his people rebelled against him. They rebelled and they rejected him as king. And, and that bi what the Bible says is they fell into sin. It's called the fall, so creation and fall. And, and the rebellion is something that the Bible calls sin. You know, so really we could say it this way. Rebellion or rejection of God, they did that. Why would you think to yourself, why would they do such a thing? And the answer is, they did it because there was a promise and there was a temptation that they could rule their own lives better than God could rule their lives. And so really, there was a rejection of God right at the heart of their sin. And really, as a result, our communities, our workplaces, our friendships, our marriages, our families, every area has been twisted and broken just a little bit. Even just in the fact that death and sickness and disease and pain, that it comes in and it ruins what is seemingly good by bringing those good things to an end. What creation initially showed us is God created it and it was good and he intended for his people to enjoy him forever. But sin broke that relationship and there's pain 
So the important thing we need to remember from the first half of Scripture is that humanity is not able to fix what's broken in the world. They can't obey enough. They can't give enough money. They can't be nice enough. They can't be moral enough. They can't do anything to fix this world. In a sense, we're blinded to the ways of heaven because we're fixated on the brokenness of earth. So you know, maybe how to get our minds around this. If, uh, maybe you've seen those pictures, and I think some of these pictures that you've probably seen on the internet are very photoshopped. And the ones I'm talking about is when there's a picture, a kind of an aerial picture, and there's somebody in a kayak. And, what, and there, there's this shark kind of behind the kayak that's way bigger than the kayak. Have you seen these things? These are the kind of pictures that make you never want to go in the ocean again, right? So, yeah, so these, these pictures. But if you think about it, they're in a kayak, and so as long as they don't do anything stupid, they probably will be okay if they start to realize the shark's there and they start to kind of slowly go back to shore. But what if you were swimming in the ocean? And what if you were swimming there, and not only was there one huge shark, but there were 10 huge sharks, and they were circling, and they were doing that thing that you kind of see them do when they start to kind of pop out over the water, and there starts to be almost a frenzy. You would realize in that moment, unlike if you kind of had a kayak, that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to kind of escape these sharks who are all around. What you would need is you would need, you know, do you ever wonder why the person in the aerial, if that really is a real photograph, why they didn't do something to help that person, right? Isn't that what you hope is the next thing? But if we are trapped like that, what we need is we need someone from the outside in a helicopter to let down a rope ladder so that we can be pulled out of that situation. And that's exactly what we see in the scripture and really what the third word summarizes the Old Testament tells us that there's promise that God is going to fix what is broken. There's a promise that there's a realization God's created it, there's been a fall, but that God promises he's going to set it right. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, there's promise after promise from the very beginning when God promises to Eve that the serpent, though Satan tempted her and she fell into sin, there would be one that would come from Eve that would ultimately crush the serpent and would be able to defeat evil and sin and Satan and death. In Genesis chapter 15 through 17, we're introduced to a man named Abraham. And Abraham is given a promise from God. And God promises he's going to bless him, even though he and his wife were old, he's going to bless them with a child. And from this child is going to come a blessing of a nation that will come, an offspring. There will be a land that will be given to them, and there will be great blessing. So a people, a land, and a blessing. When would this happen? In the fullness of time, when this offspring, his son, Jesus, would be born. You know, in Genesis uh, or in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises to King David that there's going to be one who always is going to sit on his throne. David was a good king, but he was, ulti- he was a broken king as well. He was a failed king. And there would be one who would come after him that would be greater than Solomon, his son. There would be one who would come in the fullness of time who would come to rule and reign. The prophets, like prophet Isaiah, point forward to the child that will be born and the government will be upon his shoulder, that he will be the prince of peace, that he will always reign. 
When will this happen? When the fullness of time is, has come. So all, in all of these ways, from the very earliest pages of Scripture, all the way up until we get to what is called the New Testament, and we come and we're introduced to this young virgin named Mary. And it's so, we're told that the fullness of time has come. That there would be a birth. There, there would be a birth that would happen in a manger. There would be shepherds rejoicing in the field. And so the fullness of time, what we could say, we could summarize it this way. The fullness of time means that there's a story that came before Jesus and it puts the center point of the story in the exact second, in the exact millisecond when God wanted all of these promises to come to fruition. They were never in doubt and he brings them to pass in the birth of this son, Jesus, in the fullness of time. So before we move on to, to what this means and how this brings hope, Let me just ask one question. Does it encourage you to know that there might be one who knows your story before he made you? Does it encourage you that there is a God who can bring hope because he's the author of all the story? That's what we read about Jesus, and that's what God offers to us. And so let's turn now to, secondly here this morning, the fullness of time means there is hope available in Jesus. The fullness of time means there is hope available in Jesus. You know, the old saying goes, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And one advantage of wearing masks is you kind of, when you make a first impression, when you're meeting somebody for the first time, have you ever had that thought in your mind where you're kind of sitting there and you're wondering, do I have something in my teeth? I feel like, you know, maybe there's a piece of salad in there. Maybe we're self-consciously thinking about like, did, did I get their name right? Am I gonna say that, call them by the right name? And we're, we're thinking all of these things in our mind right, when we were first introduced to someone. Dozens of things, both about them and about us. And as we come to the Gospel of Mark, there's all sorts of things happening. The good news of Jesus is being told, but it's a great place to start if you're starting to read the Bible because immediately it's introducing us to Jesus. We're told there's this one, John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, and he's introducing the world to Jesus. And right away, after thousands of years of anticipation, after God's people have been waiting for this Messiah to come, when they first meet him, what Jesus acknowledges is that they've been waiting. And listen to what he says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel and saying, What's he say? First thing, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God, which the kingdom of God means the rule and reign of God as it is intended to be, as it was in the beginning. So now the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is bringing it forth. The time is fulfilled. All the promises that we're pointing forward to Eve, to Abraham, to King David, to the prophets like Isaiah. Everything they were pointing forward to, Jesus acknowledges, that has come in what I've brought. So there's a self-understanding. Jesus knows he is the fulfillment of all those promises because he knows who he is. He can say with authority that the time's fulfilled because he is God the Son and he's always existed 
And so before he was born and taken on flesh, he had always existed as God the Son, eternal in the heavens. And so he can say, the time is fulfilled. And what he means is, the waiting is over. But more than that, it's not just the fullness of time that's on display in the manger, it's the fullness of God. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. This is speaking of Jesus, and next week we'll spend more time on speaking about the person of Jesus and his deity. But listen to what it says. Paul writes this, And he is before all things, and in him, that is in Christ, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, when we think about in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, and we'll think about that next week. We'll think more about who he is. But did you notice just when I read that what you heard there? Jesus is before all things. He is the beginning In him, all things hold together. He is the one, he is the source. He is preeminent, it says. It means he is first and foremost. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we can say, why is the birth of Jesus so important? Because it's God the Son walking among humanity. It's God coming down on a rescue mission to save. This is joyful news. The waiting is over. You know, on on Christmas morning, no parent here is going to have to tell their kids to be excited. They're going to be bursting with excitement. They've been waiting. They're anticipating that morning right now. They're dropping hints about what they want to make sure that their parents have remembered for Christmas. And on Christmas morning, we as parents are going to joyfully watch them celebrate that the waiting is over. It's finally here. Now, you would think if that's the way our kids respond to kind of a lesser thing like presents, which are good, you would think that that's how the world would have responded to the Messiah finally coming. Like kids at Christmas, the waiting is over. There is joy. After all, it had been thousands of years in the story being written and the promises being given. And when Jesus begins to speak about the good news of the kingdom, you would think that people would be standing up and they would be saying, hallelujah. They would be rejoicing. And some of them did. Some had been waiting their whole lives. And they saw this little child. And they recognized in him all the promises have reached their fulfillment. But there was a king who was jealous and tried to kill this son immediately. And ultimately, though you would expect people to have been joyful at the news of this king, ultimately, some decidedly were not glad he was there. In fact, they hated him so much that they took him and they nailed him to a cross. They crucified him like a common criminal, how common criminals would have been treated. They would have been executed. They would have been put on a cross. The injustice that happened to Jesus, 
this Messiah who was perfect, who never himself did anything wrong, and yet at the hands of sinful people, he was nailed to a tree, to a cross made of wood. And so the greatest picture of sin is that ultimately people want to be left alone so much that we want to be the rulers of our lives so much that we're willing, they were willing, and we would be too if we were in their shoes to kill even God himself. But at that cross, and the fact that three days later Jesus rises from the dead, what we see there is there is a complete picture of what God had intended for the fullness of time. So why is that phrase, the fullness of time, so important? Because God intended for this child to be born. And he intended for this child to come so he would grow to a man and he would lay down his life and he would become the perfect sacrifice for all who trust in him. That's what Paul writes again in Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And so we can say, and we have to remember, look, as we look around and as we see the sentimentality of the season, God didn't send his son to be a cute little baby in a barn so that Costco could sell manger scenes and nice light-up wise men. Jesus was born in order to come to save. And so we can say, the time is fulfilled. And it, since the time is fulfilled, what God wants to reveal in his son for us, like John writes in John chapter one, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And so in the fullness of time, it shows us there's a design that God had for history. And in the fullness of time, it shows us that there is hope in Jesus. And that hope is available for all who recognize, I need help. I can't save myself. I need a deliverer. I need someone to rescue me. And that's where we can receive grace upon grace. What we did not deserve as his enemies, God gave to us in his son Jesus. And this is the message that we sing. This is what we say, hallelujah, that the choir is going to sing in just a few moments. And so before they sing, let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going to sing together. And then as they come up and sing, per tradition, we're going to stay standing during the hallelujah chorus. And afterwards, I'll give the benediction, and then we'll be able to continue rejoicing and listening to them sing out in the foyer. So let me pray. Father, thank you for, again, for this simple phrase, the fullness of time, where we can recognize that you have sent your son at just the right time, that you have designed it to be a rescue mission so that you might show us grace, that you might bring peace. Father, I pray that eyes would be opened and ears would be unstopped here, that anyone who is here can put their faith in Jesus and they will be saved, they will be rescued. And so may you get the glory, Father, as we continue to sing and rejoice and worship. And may we all say, hallelujah, what a Savior. In his name, amen.